Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Kajula looking for the activating nurse. He's got him to win it. Nurse shoots and scores. Darnell Nurse. He's looking down the sidelines. Oh, what a catch. And that's going to be a touchdown all the way to the end zone for Darrell Walker. An absolute bomb. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. So I learned that in Texas, the plural of y'all is all y'alls. So to one person, you could say, how y'all doing? Even though you're just talking to one person. If you're talking to a group of people, how all y'all doing? Though you could also say how y'all's doing, but I was told how all y'all doing is more common as the plural. So it was a pretty valuable trip to Dallas overall. Thanks a lot for tuning in, everybody. My name is Reed Wilkins. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chet. Oilers Development Camp going on at the Community Rink downtown. The first session is in the books. It'll all wrap up on Thursday at 630 with the Billy Moores Cup. You can attend Development Camp if you like. The next session tomorrow at 3.30. Doors will open 30 minutes prior to each session. It is free seating first come, first serve. And uh, we're going to go live on Thursday from the Billy Moore's Cup. So that'll be fun. Eskimos, what a bummer of a game against Hamilton. Blake Dermott will break it down in half an hour. And the Eskimos Coaches Show with Jason Moss and Morley Scott coming up from 7.30 to 8 right here on 6.30 Chet. Of course, go to 630Chet.com for uh, more on what the Oilers did over the weekend and for his thoughts on a very interesting top 10 and the three guys the Oilers got in the first round, CHL analyst from Sportsnet, Sam Cosentino. Sam, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, doing great. Nice to be home and uh, chilling out for a little bit after a lot of activity over there over the weekend. Yeah, the key word, chilling out. I think anywhere in Canada or the United States, probably cooler than Dallas was while we were there. That Man, that was a something for me. <laughs> it's tough, tough in the suit, eh? I mean, <laughs> going to the rink in the suit and uh, even just getting out of the car and from the hotel to the car and from the car to the rink, even that was a bit of a challenge without breaking a huge sweat. Yeah, how, how do you sweat in Dallas? Just stand there. <laughs> That's all you have to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, some of the uh, some of the young men being drafted were probably sweating through the first round because, in, in my mind, it, it got a little unpredictable there at points before we got to the Oilers at number ten, which was kind of wide open for them for I think players they liked. But before we get to that, anything stand out for you as a top nine as a, as a team that maybe really took a chance in your mind or or really jumped in there to get a good player. Three things in particular, and we all kind of knew and then predicted what Montreal was going to do with Todd and Yemi, and so that, you know, came to fruition. Uh, once it happened, we kind of had that that idea. I think seeing Zadina go to six 
that was a bit of a, an interesting scenario, and I know Detroit was extremely happy to get him there. And then I would look at Barrett Hayton at five as a, you know, a bit of a stretch there. But then again, Arizona didn't take another center, didn't have another pick for a long time, so they wanted to address that right off the hop. And Kravtsov at uh, at nine to the Rangers was a bit of a shocker to me. I thought that was a that was a little high, and I think the situation to draft Kravtsov might have presented itself with either twenty six or twenty eight, which is what they originally went into the evening with. And, uh, again, if you're identifying a, identifying a player, you really like him, then I have to give credit to the teams that, that go out and, and do what they do. But, yeah, some surprises for sure. For, for that first uh, nine in terms of jockeying position, Kravtsov, to me, didn't make my, my top ten. But I think the other names are pretty comfortable with where they were. I think 11 of the 12 names that most people had penciled in were pretty much the same, just in different order. So the Oilers, it kind of opened up for them. I, I went in thinking if they had, if they were able to get Bouchard, Noah Dobson, or Oliver Wallstrom at 10, I, I thought they'd be lucky if one guy were available and they'd jump in and get him. Instead, they had the choice of all three, and, and I got the perception, the, the, uh, the, the perception that they were pretty thrilled to be able to get Bouchard and that they, they very likely had him ranked higher than 10. I know maybe they would have traded up to get him, but then I think they got the sense he was going to fall to them. Uh, you know, we've heard what the team has had to say about Evan Bouchard. You've seen him play. Tell me what you think his abilities are and maybe what he has to work on to eventually be a productive NHLer for the Oilers. Yeah, I've, I've watched him a lot. I'm really familiar with his game, and I remember when he came into the league, uh, you know, as a late birthday, um, I remember talking to the Hunter brothers about him, and they were just uh, raving about his ability to think the game, and he processes it at a at an elite level. So you don't hear those guys really jump out and rave about a player, especially early on in their careers. But for Bouchard, they did, and you wouldn't have known it for the first year and a half. I mean, even there for a couple of years, 2016, there were some things there where he didn't play a whole lot, uh, and then getting back into the situation for him where. Um, you know, he really started to play going into the 16-17 year. And then, of course, 17-18 was just a, a breakout machine year. Ended up with the captaincy. Uh, I love what he brings to the table. And I think the owner's got a guy who could play here, uh, who could play here right away based on the late birthday. Well, that's an interesting one. I, I know that's been a bit of a, a bit of a discussion, but I mean, I said on the weekend, he in my mind, he instantly becomes the Oilers' best defense prospect. So, so hopefully, he keeps developing. And they'd love a right shot guy who could help on the power play, right? As several teams would. Yeah, <laughs> but it was I, I, yeah you know what, Reed? I think that was something that they were trying to address with a, with a player already in the NHL when they went to the draft. I think they might have had their sights set on that. Either in a trade back scenario, it'll stay in the first round and maybe acquire that player. Uh, but the way the draft board fell, and when they felt that they could address that need, uh, you know, with a guy that they really liked at the same time, really worked out well for him. Now, I'm not going to say he's going to come in and play right away, but I think I don't think there's any question there's going to be a, a Yamamoto type scenario where he's going to go to camp. People are going to realize how good he is and give him an opportunity to start the season there. I mean, he passes it like a pro. He's got good size. He's a right shot. People worry about his skating a little bit, but you have to watch him closely because he always gets there. And the other part is he's playing 34 minutes a night for London. So at some point, you got to conserve your energy. If you don't watch him each and every shift, you kind of think that he might be loafing it. But really what he's doing was conserving energy because of the amount of minutes he's played. He's got a bomb for a shot. So there's a lot of really good things to like about about this player. And again, the late birthday just gives them a leg up in the competition when they go into camp.
All right. Well, Oilers fans loving what they're hearing there, Sam. Sam Cosentino joining us on Inside Sports. Covers the Canadian Hockey League for Sportsnet. The Oilers then picked 40th. And, and again, I think they got a player that, that they were probably thinking would have been off the board by then. Ryan McLeod for Mississauga. He's interesting, Sam, because... Everybody talks more about his speed than his offense, though he did pretty well with over a point a game, though I, though I got the impression that you know, maybe to, to become a pro, he's maybe going to have to work on his finish and getting to the net a little bit more, but, but no doubt he can fly out there. Yeah, no question. And that would be his asset. He's got a hockey body. He's got good size. You know, he can really, really skate. He's really good at distributing the puck. But he is one of the most interesting prospects to come under this draft for me because I've watched him, same sort of thing. He's a, a late birthday guy, so I've watched him for three years now playing in Mississauga. And I honestly, along with me and, and a bunch of the scouts that I talked to, can't quite figure out what he's going to be. Having said that, though, there's a lot of first-round tools there. And if you put them all together, you're going to get first-round uh, type of production out of them. So the one question to mark for me is, after having watched him for three years, is he does he have the ability to put it all together? So... I, I do like what he brings to the table, no question, in terms of all of his individual skills. But for whatever reason, those things all haven't translated at one time for me. And that's, that's the big issue I have with Ryan going forward. Now, at 40, there's got to be some value there. I mean, I did have him going in my first round, going late. Um, I, and he was probably the player I battled with maybe more than anyone and putting him in my mock draft first round because I had anyone finding, uh, had trouble finding anyone who would give me that 100% endorsement. But most teams that I talked to were picking ahead and said, yeah, he'll go in the first round and he'll probably be passed up. So that was the interesting part. But um, the one thing I will say about him, you know, there's, there's, it's been out there a little bit that over the course of his career, when his brothers missed either due to injury or at World Junior, that Ryan has actually produced better. And I went and ran those numbers, and it's true. And it's not a huge difference, but it is something to take note of. So... With his brother in the lineup averaging about 0.61 points per game, with his brother out of the lineup about 0.88 points per game. So there's enough there to say that maybe separating from his brother, uh, not having to defer to him or acquiesce to him on a regular basis, may indeed help him out down the road. And, hey, the other thing is, guys, when you draft a player like this, it, it then becomes the responsibility of your development people to get him to figure those things out, to find out what it is that hasn't allowed him to to really put it all together at this point and get him to put all of those tools together and utilize each and every one of them. So, yeah, while he was over a point per game this year, I, I think in, in, with his skill set, that's probably a bit of an underachievement, to be honest with you. All right. Well, that's interesting. He'll be a, a, a fun one to watch for sure. Hey, b- before we let you go, Sam, we should the Oilers traded up to, to squeeze right into the end of the second round, and you never know when that first goalie's going to go, right? Is, is, is it going to be in the first round? Sometimes they don't go to the second or third. Oilers get Olivier Rodrigue right at the end of the second round, playing for Drummondville in the Quebec Major Junior League. Pretty good one-loss record uh, last season, save percentage over 900. Not, I mean, he's a tall guy, not that big yet. I'm sure he'll fill out a little bit, but, uh, you know, his dad's the uh, goalie consultant for the Oilers, runs goaltending camps. Kind of an interesting prospect here, and I think especially if you couple it with the uh, drafting of Stuart Skinner last year by the Oilers. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know, it's been an issue here for, for a little while for, for Edmonton. So that's something that they had to address. And getting two really good guys in the system, obviously, you know, everyone saw the year that Skinner had, and, and especially in the one game in the Memorial Cup, uh, you know, and talking about him. 
but the thing for me is when I look at Rodriguez, you I mean he is he's intense. He's really intent on his skill, on his technique, uh, athleticism. All of those things are in place, and I think this year was a really good year for him, just in terms of being able to be that clear-cut number one guy and to, and to help carry a team that was a really good team. You know, sometimes as a as a top-notch goalie, you get into situations where, you know, at 16, 17 years old, you're having to carry the mail, and that can become too much of a responsibility. Playing for Dominic Ducharme on a young Drummondville team that was still really good allowed him to settle comfortably into his game. And so now I like what Rodrigue brings to the table, and anytime you have a coach's son, I don't think you can go wrong just because they've, you know, they've kind of been around it. They know what it's all about, um, and especially when, you know, when that, father is a goaltending consultant and you're selecting a goaltender the 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 side part from that is is having the intimate knowledge of the player what he's all about what his character is like what his home life is like all of these things factor into the decision when drafting a player and you can't have anyone than the guy on your staff being the father of the player you selected yeah, good point. Well, hopefully the Oilers get some players out of there uh, down the road, maybe sooner rather than later with Bouchard. Sam, I know you need some downtime. You had a busy weekend. You had a busy season covering the CHL. But I know we'll talk again soon, man. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet. In his mock draft, he did have Noah Dobson going before Evan Bouchard, but clearly he likes Evan Bouchard. And uh, you heard it there from Sam who says... He could be the Yamamoto-type player who maybe sticks around at a training camp and f- plays a few games. said he passes the puck at a pro level, has a big shot, and he mentioned something that Peter Shirelli said in his me- media availability after the first round on Friday that Bouchard was playing 30-35 minutes a game with London, so he wasn't always skating full throttle because he had to preserve a little bit of energy and maybe he's a better skater than what it appeared in some of those games. Interesting stuff. You can text 63630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. If you want to email, it's inside sports at 630ched.com. John Tavares, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Now interviewing with teams, uh, reportedly met with Toronto this afternoon. Also expected to talk with Dallas, Boston, San Jose, and Tampa Bay. Defenseman John Carlson will not be an unrestricted free agent. Eight-year, $64 million deal with the Washington Capitals. And uh, several players who were going to be restricted, who were going to be restricted free agents, didn't receive qualifying offers from their teams so they can become unrestricted free agents. We'll give you some of the highlights of that list when we get back. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, appreciate you tuning in tonight. Devontae Smith-Pelly had that great playoff for the Washington Capitals, helping them win the Stanley Cup. He does not receive a qualifying offer from the Capitals, nor does former Oilers draft pick Tobias Reeder of the LA Kings. He had 25 points in 78 games. He is 25. You have to wonder if the Oilers might look at him. Different uh, Oilers brass in charge than when he was here earlier. He can certainly skate. The Oilers are going to be looking for cheap guys to fill out the roster here. Anthony Duclair does not get a QO from Chicago. He'll turn uh, 23 in August. He had 23 points in 56 games with Arizona and Chicago. Also of note, Nail Yakupov does not get an offer from Colorado. Montreal, nothing for local product Daniel Carr. And also goaltender Zach Fucali. Remember what a hot prospect he was a few years ago. And... 
How about this, everybody? Do you want him back? Would you like the Oilers to reach out to him? Brandon Davidson does not get a qualifying offer for the New York Islanders. Loves Edmonton, loves the Oilers, was thrilled to come back from Montreal during the season, then was shipped off to the Islanders, who decide not to qualify him. Would this not be an ideal 5-6-7 defenseman for the Oilers, bottom pairing, maybe in and out of the lineup? Maybe, uh, I mean, he doesn't have the, the talent of Oscar Clefbaum, but maybe a, a little bit of a security blanket if Clefbaum isn't looking great coming back from the shoulder surgery. I wouldn't mind that. Wouldn't mind that if the Oilers looked at Davidson. Like I said, and, and this shouldn't be the criteria, but he does love it here. He loves being an Oiler. Uh, you know, he's spending his time here in the summer. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. That's a name to watch. Your free agency, of course, will be on Sunday. That's when they can actually start signing, guys. Sunday, July 1st, when they can start signing unrestricted free agents. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. My name is Reed Wilkins. World Cup today. Interesting stuff. Uh, Spain and Morocco tied 2-2. Portugal and Iran tied 1-1. Uruguay beat Russia 3-0. Saudi Arabia over Egypt 2-1. Uruguay will play Portugal in the single elimination on uh, Saturday. Russia will play Spain on Sunday. So Portugal and Iran played this 1-1 game. Dustin Kaufman is uh, on the other side of the window tonight filling in for Kellen Kennedy. The, are you into the World Cup? I'm not, no. It's, uh, I don't know if you knew this. It's a massive sporting event. It is. Soccer, extremely popular. So, uh, like, that's a huge result for Iran to get the draw. So, the... The goalkeeper stopped Ronaldo on a penalty kick, so that's going to be the highlight of his career. Then later on in the game, Ronaldo's running down the, the, the field, and he goes to step around a player, and his elbow comes up and catches him in the head. So they have this video review that they're using in the tournament. It's called VAR, the Video Assistant Referee. So they can look at fouls in the box. Was it actually a foul or not? Should it have been a penalty kick or not? They can look. They have. They can look for offsides on goals. Maybe it was offside. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, they have obviously goal line technology. Did the ball cross the line? And they can look at plays that maybe should have been red cards. So Ronaldo uh, catches this guy, who it looked to me was interfering with Ronaldo as well. But Ronaldo did get the elbow up to the head. So they look at it and say, "Oh no, it's not a red card. It's a yellow card. Because if you get a red card, you're out of the game." And you're out of the next game. So Portugal would have to go to the elimination phase without the best player in the world. So they say yellow card, so he finishes the game. He can play play the next game. So uh, the Iranian coach, after the game. The reality is uh, you stop the game too far. There is an elbow. Elbow. Elbow is red card in the rules. And the rules doesn't say if it is Messi or Ronaldo. It's a little bit. And we're back to the same story about my daughter yesterday. I need to know if I'm a, I'm a grandfather or no. I, I, don't, I don't want to know if my daughter is a little bit pregnant or it's a little or an evidence or obvious. It's a, it's a red car. So the question it is for me, as I said before, it's not about the referees. It is about the attitude and the bravery and the character. The decisions, they must be clear for everybody, for the people. So, in my opinion, Mr. Infantino and FIFA, everybody agreed that VAR is not going well. All right. So, first of all, 
That was a great clip about his uh, daughter being pregnant, how you can't be a little bit pregnant. And I just, I mean, now this all this whole video review debate, it, it doesn't help anything. We, we've had this discussion in hockey about the offsides and, and, and the goalie interference. You think video review is going to solve everything. It just makes it worse. And now we're hearing all this stuff from the World Cup as well, where he's saying, look, it was an elbow. The video review showed it was an elbow. doesn't matter who it is. The, the rule book says it's an elbow and it's a red card. turns out to be a yellow card. I, I just, it, it's, it's crazy to me how video review gets introduced and relied on and it often just muddies the waters. It, 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 you know, it's fine for goal line technology. Other than that, I'm really starting to think it shouldn't be used. Biggest sporting event in the world, I guess, outside the Summer Olympics. And, uh, you know, I guess it solved some problems. You know, you can see the offside. There was a handball today that had helped make a call. But here, here's another idea for soccer. Maybe put a second referee on the field. There are 22 guys. Tough one for the Eskimos on Friday. Blake Dermott will break it down when we get back. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Walker will be in motion here for Riley as he takes the snap on second and ten. He wants to unload. He goes Whoa. deep. He's got Duke Williams. He's got it. Williams across the 30, the 20, the 10. He gets to the five. Touchdown, Eskimos. He's got the ball again. He wants to throw this time. Stands in the pocket. Now he has to run, then throws to the end zone. And Banks will make the reception coming out of the end zone and then just turn around and take two steps back into the end zone. There's another touchdown. Masoli gives it to Timmis. And again, he's got a big hole. He's going to get to the end zone. Touchdown, Tiger Cats. There's your dagger. Yeah, it sure was. Well... There were a few of them. Maybe that was the biggest one for the Hamilton Tiger Cats on Friday night, dominating the Edmonton Eskimos 38-21. The Eskimos fall to 1-1 one one on the season. Head coach Jason Moss will be in studio in one hour with Morley Scott. Eskimos home to the Lions on Friday. 8 o'clock start of the game. Our countdown to kickoff will commence at 6 o'clock here on 6.30. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. This is Inside Sports, and our Eskimos analyst is Blake Dermott. Blake, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing fine, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Hey, uh, before we get to some Eskimo stuff, I should mention the latest today is that Argos quarterback Ricky Ray moving his extremities. Obviously, I'm sure many people have seen that uh, hit he took uh, in another game over the weekend on Saturday against Calgary. He was taken off the field on the backboard, and, uh, you know, that's a tough one. It's tough to see any player do that, but he's still loved here in Edmonton and very respected around the league. Blake, uh, I mean, you've you've been there when, uh, you know, you've been hurt or you've seen teammates get seriously injured. That's just really tough on the field, isn't it? Yeah, well, I was uh, – I was- Playing uh, uh, when James Bell uh, had his injury back in, I believe, it was 1986, and uh, um, it was a it was a terrible injury. It was uh, something that uh, that I will never forget in the, in the game and how everything stopped and how <clears throat> you U.S. players have to try to you know push on and play. And uh, we didn't realize how serious it was until, of course, later. But uh, but it, when, whenever you see a teammate of yours get taken off the field uh, with you know uh, knees, ankles, those kinds of things, uh, you, those are the, you almost become numb to that because that's just a, a, a part of the game. But 
but when you see somebody on some sort of a board and being taken off in a stretcher, all wrapped up so that they're not moving, you get really concerned. I remember when Jason Tucker uh, was injured uh, and uh, the same kind of thing. He made the catch, got hit, broke his broke a vertebrae in his neck, and uh, and still hung on to the ball. You know, it just it's it, your body takes over as an instinct, and and uh, you don't realize how bad it is until after the game. Yeah, it's it's tough to see, and, and you know, you, like that was Tucker was a great player. I mean, he's one of the best Eskimos of the last twenty years, maybe going back even further. And that was his last play in the CFL. You hope that's not Ricky Ray's last play, but you know, guys, guys live with that unfortunately and live with that possibility. But hopefully, he's going to be all right from a football standpoint. It sets up a pretty interesting situation with James Franklin, very likely to be the Toronto quarterback for the home and home against the Argos or against the Eskimos in a couple weeks. Edmund in Toronto we're going to play back-to-back games and of course Franklin was traded to uh, Toronto in the offseason anyway uh, the Eskimos Blake uh, I was uh, at the first round of the draft I was kind of uh, getting some uh, texts from Brendan Ulrich and a couple of people at the game and then I was able to listen to uh, Dave and Morley and you in the second half and uh, it it was deflating to listen to I've watched the extended highlights I really didn't think it was worth sitting down to watch the entire game, but uh, there's a lot of players that felt the same way. What, uh, yeah. in the film session. Yeah. Well, I mean, was was it simply the Eskimos had two inexperienced defensive backs in the game and they got exploited, or was there more to it than that? Oh, I think there was way more to it than that. Um, I mean, first of all, I thought right from the beginning of the game and second play, uh, Ricky Ray, you know, talked about it. Uh, Ricky Ray, sorry, uh, Mike Riley after the game talked about. You know that the, the type of defense that Hamilton played, that uh, some teams, some teams uh, like a Rich Stubler defense will drop off deep and make you throw underneath, and this defense was something that was going to pressure you and and take away all of your short passes, but are susceptible to long pass. And we saw that in the very second play to Duke Williams went uh, uh, to the house on a 85-yard pass. I can't remember the length of it, but it seemed like it was about an 85-yard pass, and and scored a touchdown. The very second play. And then there was uh, a couple of other instances uh, that that he threw the ball. Riley threw the ball where they were. They he, he underthrew guys, and um, uh, there was one to Stafford that uh, was knocked away. And there was one the the, the big catch to Stafford late in the game uh, in the uh, third quarter. He uh, he had to slow up to catch it, and uh, and was tackled on about the ten yard line. So there was a number of those instances. So I don't think that that uh, Riley was sharp either. So, you know, the, the offense had opportunities to score. The oper- uh, they, had, they had chances to take advantage of what Hamilton was doing. But I think the Hamilton's got some pressure on them. Uh, when, you, when you have three offensive linemen playing in different positions, uh, they moved David Beard from uh, left guard to right guard. They moved uh, your, uh, your right guard to left tackle, and they put a new left guard in. I think that made it a little bit disruptive for the offensive line. Their running game, I thought they were, you know, they put in – uh, they bring the, they bring the American in at the left guard, and uh, he's going to be he's a run specialist. And they uh, Gable only I think ran for like 30 yards in the game, so so he didn't uh, it, it didn't seem to help their game plan. And then when you looked on the defensive side of the ball, you know you, you talk about the rookies in the corners and stuff like that, but but the reality was that any time that Edmonton got any pressure, Masoli was able to step out of that pressure and make plays with his legs. He was able to take off scramble, look like he was going to run, and then dump the ball off. Well, a defensive back, I don't care if you're a rookie or a 10-year veteran, you have to be able to cover your guy for about three and a half seconds, the amount of time the ball is going to be in the air. 
when you're asked to now cover your guy for five to six seconds, you've lost any advantage. And so, so I, from a defensive standpoint, they didn't have they didn't have strong pressure. Uh, they didn't they didn't weren't able to clean up any any time Masoli got loose. And uh, let's face it, I've seen Masoli play a couple of good games in his life. This was could have been the best game that he had played. And and com- uh, combine that with the fact that Edmonton has 13 guys on the six-game injured list, and Hamilton only had two. Uh, so there's a bunch of factors. It wasn't just because of the defense. Defense played poorly. I thought, you know, nine penalties, 85 yards. The Eskimos gave up. They didn't. If you're going to play a team playing that hot, as uh, Jason Moss said after the game, you can't make mistakes. And the way Hamilton played that night, the Eskimos would have to play a perfect game. Well, Mazzoli, two huge games in Commonwealth Stadium. The the comeback a couple of years ago where he broke the consecutive completions record, and then obviously he was excellent on Friday night. Blake Dermott, our Eskimos analyst, joining us on Inside Sports. You touched on the offensive line and, and C.J. Gable, and i got to ask you about Gable because I think we all had pretty high hopes for him given how well he played after joining the Eskimos late last season. He has 76 yards rushing after two games. That's his season total. What's going on there, Blake? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think that uh, uh, when you look at the two games that the Eskimos have played, um, Gable, Gable will get the yards. Most running backs will get the yards when, and a lot of times in the second half. Very rarely do you see a running back you know, rattle off 100 yards in the first half. It's usually they start to pound the ball as you wear a team down. And you're pounding the ball because, because you've, you're in the game, you've got a lead, you're controlling the clock and all those kinds of things. Edmonton had the ball for 24 minutes in that first half, and Hamilton had it for 35. You're not going to run the ball when you're, that, you know, when you're, you're, uh, you're getting uh, uh, the time eaten up on the clock. Uh, you want to get points and make points, and because of what Hamilton does, you, you have to take advantage of the long ball. And so, so that was a game plan that was probably not suited for, for uh, the running game for the Eskimos, unless the Eskimos would have taken advantage of them early in the game and then put Hamilton in a situation where they had to change what they were doing defensively. So I didn't expect a whole lot of Gable in this game, unless it was late in the game. And then you look at the Winnipeg game, they, they were coming from behind that whole game. Uh, they, so when you're coming from behind, again, you're not going to sit there and pound the ball. Uh, because that's taken you out of what your game plan is. And, uh, and I really think that the Eskimos, again, partly because of the injuries, partly because, and they've had a significant amount of injuries um, in the first couple of weeks, that's impacted what they've had to do. This is just like it was last year, midway of the season. Now, the good news is this is only game two. There still is 16 games to go, and I don't think everybody's got to panic. I think, I think they, just from listening to the players talk after the game, this was a concerted you know, uh, and, and concentrated effort by the players to say we did not do a very good job. The coaches put a game plan in place, and we did not execute it. So I really think that going into, and I, I don't think there was a, a lot of nicks and the injuries after this game, but now we're going to have a, a, a game number three with very few changes, and I think uh, the Eskimos will surely be uh, a better team this Friday than they were the last Friday. Yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, Blake, I know when we talked last week after the season opener in Winnipeg, You've kind of felt that, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you just summarize, you kind of felt it was a matter of time, that you, you thought the Eskimos were playing well, they gave up a special teams touchdown, and that you, you were pretty confident they were going to come back. I mean, I'll be the half-empty guy here, though, Blake. I, I kind of feel like the Eskimos have been played 
outplayed in what six six and a half quarters they've been on the field so far this season that worries me a little so game three is going to be pivotal in terms of which way i feel like they're going well and you and i will agree to disagree i don't believe they were outplayed uh in that in that winnipeg game you look statistically they they won in every uh, every statistic in that game except for the score which was ultimately the the only thing that really matters, because it was a close game and they had to come from behind and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. if you look at the statistics in that game, I didn't think they played poorly. When, you're, when your defense only gives up 150, 76 yards passing, I, I don't think they did poorly. But in this last game, Hamilton was full measure. I mean, they were 500-plus yards of offense, 550 yards. They did, they did to Edmonton what Edmonton did to Winnipeg the week before. And Mike Riley threw for less than, uh, I think he was 260 yards passing. And he threw for over 400 yards the week before. Um, you know, as we mentioned, the running game just was non-existent. I think they had a total of with Riley running, and and I think they were like 60 yards in this last game. So they they were completely handled, and they were handled in all aspects of the game. And uh, that is not something that we have seen. Uh, the Eskimo they, they just looked like no matter what Winnipeg needed to do, no matter what they wanted to do, they could do it against the Eskimos on Friday. 38-21, the Tiger Cats took that one. So, I mean, that's a decent road trip for them. They they, they they hung in there against Calgary, couldn't win their season opener. They go one and one. They spent the whole week in Alberta. Quickly, Blake, before I let you go, I know, I know we're, we're early. Uh, you know, we've already had BC's only played the one game. Ottawa's only played the one game. But uh, we've had a couple teams like Edmonton, like Saskatchewan, uh, you know, like Winnipeg, you know, Go go one and one and kind of look uh, look okay and then maybe not look so good in their other game. What stuck out for you non Eskimo wise so far this season? Well, I, I I think that just early in the season, I think it is it is there. We thought the West was going to be very close. We thought there was going to be more parity this year, or at least I thought there was going to be more parity in the CFL this year than there has been in probably the last ten or fifteen years. And uh, I, I, you look at Hamilton. I mean, Hamilton hung with Calgary and had Calgary on the ropes right till the end. And then they come out and beat Edmonton and two road trip, uh, road trip games. So the East has a beast. And Ottawa, you know, beat Saskatchewan, who looked really strong against Toronto the week before. So, so there are some teams out East that, uh, with the exception of Montreal, and I think Toronto's going to figure it out. Their coaching and their personnel is just too good to not be in the mix. But this is going to be the first time, I think, in, in uh, I don't know how many years that we haven't seen the crossover. Because uh, the, And there's going to be a really good team in the West not make the playoffs this year. Uh, a couple of them, the really good teams in the West, aren't going to make the playoffs because you're going to see an awful lot of guys with, uh, with records like the Eskimos and the Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, you know, one and one at this point right now. And B.C. could be one and one after this weekend. Blake, we'll talk again uh, next uh, next Monday. We will be doing a show on July 2nd, so I'll get in touch with you then. Hopefully the Eskimos bounce back against the Lions. Always great to have you weigh in, man. Okay, Reed. Thanks a lot. That is Blake Dermott, our Eskimos analyst here on 630 Chet. And, yeah, he pretty much summed it up. Hamilton controlled that game, got a ton of yards, moved the ball. I, I know somebody said to me after the game on Friday that, if anything, the score flattered the Eskimos, and they were behind pretty much all night and lost by 17 points. Hopefully they've come out of this one healthy, get a little more experience with some guys in new positions. I know it was uh, Hoover and Hunter getting picked on a lot in the secondary. Hopefully another week for them under their belts, another week of practice. And I don't think the Lions are as good a team as Hamilton either, but uh, we need to see a lot more from the Eskimos than we saw on Friday on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium. All right, it is 6.47. Quick timeout. 
your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. You can always text 63630. I was talking earlier about Brandon Davidson not getting a qualifying offer from the New York Islanders. Maybe the Oilers should take a look. Jim says, no, please, no. Been down that road a couple of times. Listen, Reed, if a player doesn't get qualified, then that means he sucks. Get it? Oh, yeah, you're in radio. I forgot. Ha, ha. Thank you, Jim. Much appreciated. So Jim thinks Brandon Davidson sucks. He uh, thinks Devontae Smith-Pelly sucks and a whole bunch of other guys who didn't get qualifying offers. Fair enough, Chip. Fair enough. Blue Jays leading Houston 2-1. That's in the bottom of the second. I flew through Houston to get to Dallas on, when did I go down there? Wednesday. Obviously, we had our draft coverage here on 630 Chad. Peter Shirelli, uh, what did he speak? Spoke on Thursday. The schedule came out on Thursday. Then we had the draft uh, Friday and Saturday. I'd never been to Dallas before, Dustin. Neat town. Very hot. Very hot. Plus, uh, I think the highs while I were there were 37, 38, 39, depending on the day. Celsius. Humid as well? Uh, it was. I didn't find it as humid as Florida, but it was pretty humid. I was talking to Jalen and Andrew about going to... Uh, the sixth floor museum right. in the old book depository building so you can see where Oswald uh, assassinated President Kennedy from, and it's pretty... Uh, educational and interesting uh, journey through his presidency, through the assassination and the uh, subsequent in- investigation and all that kind of stuff. Uh, got to go out in uh, Dallas a couple of times, actually with my buddy Pat Steinberg, who's going to join us after the 7 o'clock news. The Flames made that big trade with, with Carolina. So this was, this was pretty interesting on Saturday night. We wound up at this uh, place, and there was a friend of uh, Pat's there as well who works for the Flames. And we wound up talking to these three guys who were visiting from Arkansas. So they were going through Texas on on business. Uh, They were from a town of something like 450 people, and uh, really their their big sport was the University of Arkansas. I said to the one guy, well, what sport? All of them. Like, they they didn't care. So I had a bit of an interesting aside with this this one younger gentleman. I think he was 23 or 24. So we're we're talking, and I I can't... I won't be able to use the terminology he used, Dustin. (laughs) But all of a sudden, in mid-conversation, how do I put this? He uh, he suddenly and enthusiastically expressed an uh, an interest... In uh, that night, um, experiencing a relationship with a young lady, he expressed to me that that was his goal for the evening. Okay, that's not how he put it. He didn't put it that eloquently. He was a little more, little more crass. But uh, he, ex- he expressed to me that he would uh, he would enjoy some temporary romance that evening if he if he could find it. We weren't talking about that at all. But he all of a sudden he he chose to, to confide to that you know. with me. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's uh, that's. But all I had to say. So I said, okay, well, I, I said, good for you. I hope that works out. What else do you say to a situation right. like that? I wasn't really in a situation to introduce him to any any younger women who could, who could be that possible companion for the evening, given that I don't like to live in Dallas and didn't know anybody. Um, so. So I said, well, good luck with that. He says, let me tell you something. 
You got bucks and you got does. And in Arkansas, we don't have a lot of does. Uh. <laughs> <sighs> Love the accent, by the way. Well, that's the best I could do. Usually all my accents wind out turning and turn out exactly the same. But I, I could do it there. So that, that, was, uh, that was an interesting little... Uh, it was just it was a very funny moment where I felt like this... He's just confiding in a complete stranger. Oh, I guess, hey, that's why he was out on the town. He's a few hundred miles away from home. He can do whatever you want. Those are the best He's nights. a young man from Arkansas. He could be the next Bill Clinton. For all I know. Bill Clinton was from Arkansas. He is from Arkansas. Former U.S. president. We know what he got up to, though. He, well, he got up to a few things, speaking of <laughs> temporary relations with, 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 a, with a female. Yeah. Uh, well, I think there were a few chapters of temporary relations with her. But anyway, she, had, she wore great dresses. <laughs> uh, all right. Oh, Jim wrote back. He says, we're just talking about Brandon, buddy. But yes, they all probably suck. Why would the Caps not sign him then? I assume he's talking about Devontae Smith-Pelly now. Not dependable. Lightning in a bottle. That's what I'm thinking. Well, you're right about uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly. He had a bigger playoff than he'd ever had any portion of his career. Uh, I, I do think if teams are looking for cheap depth, sometimes you can find players on this list that didn't receive qualifying offers. I don't, I don't think you're finding any stars. And I think specific, if you want to talk specifically about Brandon Davidson, uh, you know, could he be a 6-7 defenseman on the Edmonton Oilers? He has been a competent one in the past, though Peter Shirelli has chosen to trade him twice. So we'll see. Just saying maybe it's, it's worth a look. But Jimbo, when I uh, talk to Brandon Davidson next, I will definitely tell him that you think he sucks. And I'm sure he won't care. Uh, interesting earlier today, the great one. Wayne Gretzky was on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Pretty big fan of the Oilers drafting Evan Bouchard 10th overall. You know, Bouchard's a big boy. He played uh, probably 35 minutes a game last year in London and played uh, got a lot of ice time. And he's solid uh, offensively, good defensively. And as I told him uh, when he got drafted, uh, the easiest part of your job is to remember the number 97. And as soon as you see that 97, you get him in the puck. <laughs> make, your, make your transition into the NHL a lot smoother. But he's a good young man. And uh, listen, I know he's really excited to go to Edmonton. All right. Gretzky also saying that Bouchard closer to playing in the NHL than most people might think. The thing about Bouchard was probably rated a little bit higher. You never know what the draft what will happen in the first nine picks. He's got he's got a late birthday, and uh, consequently, he's already spent three years in junior hockey, and that bodes well for his development. That maybe he's a little bit ahead of the curve than some of the other 18-year-olds that were drafted uh, in the picks before him. So, you know, he's going to get a good opportunity, and he's coming from a one of the best junior organizations in Canada in the London Knights. That makes his uh, his entrance and his way into the National Hockey League probably maybe a little bit smoother because of, you know, the Hunter brothers and how great a job they do in London. 
All right, you can get that full interview with Wayne Gretzky on the Oilers Now page on 630Ched.com. Great to hear from him today. And, of course, anything you missed from the draft, you can get on the Oilers page on uh, our website as well. The Oilers development camp is underway. The first on-ice session was today at the downtown community rink. They will be back on the ice tomorrow at 3.30. You can go watch for free. Doors open 30 minutes prior to each session. Seating is first come, first served. 24 players in attendance, including Evan Bouchard, drafted on the weekend, Olivier Rodrigue, drafted on the weekend, Ryan McLeod, who was drafted on the weekend, Stuart Skinner, another goaltending prospect, is there, Tyler Benson, Kyler Yamamoto, among those taking part. So, some of the guys who may be Oilers down the road. Well, I know there was a lot of talk about the lack of headline-grabbing trades over the weekend, but there was one and it involved our rivals to the south connecting with the Carolina Hurricanes for a pretty significant deal. Pat Steinberg from Sportsnet 960 will weigh in on that after the 7 o'clock news. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.